أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم صلى الله وسلم عليك يا سيدي ويا مولاي يا رسول الله صلى الله وسلم عليك يا سيدي ويا مولاي يا أبا عبد الله يا غريب يا مظلوم يا شهيد كربلاء يا ليتنا كنا معكم سادتي فنفوز فوزا عظيما قال الله تعالى في محكم كتابه الكريم أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين آمنوا أشد حبا لله. God states in the Holy Quran, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, and the believers have greater love for God. Amanna billah. Sadaqallahu al-Aliyyul Azim. Let us begin by enlivening our hearts and minds. With the salutations upon the Holy Prophet and his purified progeny, Sallu ala Muhammadin wa Ali Muhammad. One of the most important aspects of our teachings, especially with regards to our spiritual development, how we develop as spiritual beings how we climb the ranks of spiritual developments and arrive to the peak of spiritual development. One of the most important aspects of this in our teachings is the idea of developing love of God and for God. There's an emphasis that we develop love of God that God becomes very close to our hearts and our minds and our souls and spirits. In chapter 2, Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 165, the verse that I began with, God says, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا There are some people among the masses who they take up as objects of worship, beings other than God. They become their objects of worship. They not only worship them, but they love them in a way that should be reserved only for God. And then God talks about the believers, contrasts the believers he says, But when it comes to the believers, the people of faith, they are those who love of God is greatest for them. 
They have no love that is greater than the love of God and love for God. This is what marks, this is the true mark of a believer, a mu'min. That he or she loves God more than any other being and any other entity in this universe. And this is why our teachings, they encourage us to, de to develop love for God and that our love should be God-centric. Meaning what? Meaning that God becomes the essence and the core and the focus of all of our attention. It's the core. Everything else is secondary. The primary focus for the believer is God. God comes before everything and anything else. God stands at the pinnacle of my focus as a believer. Because God is unique and God is without associate. And this is why the Quran tells us in chapter 33, verse 41, God says, Ma ja'alallahu li rajulin min qalbayni fi God has not placed two hearts within man's heart, man and woman. How many hearts do we have? Each one of us has one heart. The Mufassirun, the exegetes, they interpret this verse. They say that where is the locus of love? What is the symbol of love? It's the heart, right? When we communicate with one another and we want to express our love, how do we do that? With a heart, right? When we text each other and we want to express our love for one another, what do we do? We send a heart emoji, right? The locus of love is known commonly as the heart. God says that he has not placed two hearts in the chest of man or woman. There's just one heart. Meaning what? Meaning that this one heart should be devoted to the love of God. And Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, he says in the hadith, القلب حرم الله فلا تسكن حرم الله غير الله. He says the heart. We're not just talking about the physical heart, huh? The heart is symbolic of our soul, our mind, the center of our emotions and understanding and recognition. Imam al-Sadiq says that the heart is the sanctuary of God. حرم الله. It's where God resides, not physically, but spiritually. Where God resides is in the heart. So he says, therefore, do not bring anything else into the sanctuary of God. It has to be unique for God. Keep it pure for God. Don't bring any other being into the sanctuary of God. The sanctuary of God belongs uniquely to God. And so we are encouraged to develop this love of God. And love of God is developed, it's closely linked to the idea of the concept of taqwa. What is taqwa? If you were to take the Quran now and you find any standard English translation of the Quran, most translations of the Quran they translate the word taqwa and its derivatives as what? As fear of God. 
fearing God. I think this is inaccurate. It's an inaccurate translation of taqwa. Taqwa is much broader, a much broader concept than fearing God. Taqwa is better understood as God consciousness, being cognizant, recognizing the place of God in our lives. It's problematic to think of God only in terms of fear. Because the whole point behind our teachings are for us to develop a relationship with God, to become close to God. So if we only fear God, this pushes us away, discourages us. Look at in your normal lives. Can you love someone who you fear? It might be a superficial love. It's not genuine love. You can't love someone genuinely if you fear them. If you recognize them, if you know them, then that love begins to develop. And so the idea of taqwa is central to our knowledge of and love of God. And it's important for us to understand what taqwa entails. That we are God conscious. That we place God at the center of our focus and our attention. I remember reading a story about a young man who went one day traveling and he decided that he wanted to learn more. He wanted to, to develop himself spiritually. So he went traveling in order to learn from all of the scholars and the sages and those wise people around him. He went to a village and he decided to visit the scholar of that village. He visited him and he told him, I want to learn from you. Teach me. I want to become more God conscious. I want to develop in my spirituality. I want to be able to attain taqwa. Teach me how to do so. The scholar told him, yes, fine, I'll teach you. If you're sincere, I'll teach you. He said, yes, please. He told him, before I teach you, I want, to, I want you to go on a mission. I want you to do something for me. He said, yes, of course, absolutely, anything told him, I have a friend across town, very close friend of mine. And I would like you to deliver something to my friend. said, yes. So the man picked up a bowl and he poured milk in this bowl and he filled it all the way to the brim, all the way to the top. He gave this bowl of milk to the young man and he told him, I want you to go to my friend's house across town and I'm going to send my helper with you. He'll direct you. You follow him and deliver this bowl of milk to my friend. Come back and I'll teach you. I'll teach you what taqwa is. So the young man said, okay, no problem. So he took the bowl of milk. The scholar told him, make sure that you deliver it. Don't spill this milk, huh? Make sure that you deliver it to my friend. So the young man set on the journey. He began to follow. The man's helper was walking in front of him and he followed the helper and he's carrying this bowl of milk. And he's walking very carefully, making sure that he's not spilling the milk, huh? Very slowly, very carefully. He walked and walked and walked all the way until he arrived to the other side of town to the man's friend's house. He arrived to his house knocked on the door, 
The man opened the door. He told him, your friend has asked me to deliver this bowl of milk to you. The man took the bowl and he noticed that it was full, hadn't spilled at all. So he told him, thank you very much. I appreciate that you have delivered this gift from my friend. Can I ask you a few questions? He said, yes. He told him, when you were coming on the way here, did you notice that beautiful garden of flowers in town? The young man said, no. He said, when you crossed over the small bridge over the river, did you notice my brother's house? It's a nice house. It's even painted red. He said, no. He said, when you, were, you approached closer to my home, did you notice the farm with all of the beautiful animals, cows, chickens, sheep, horses? They were running around in the field. He said, no. I told him, you didn't notice any of that? He said, no. He said, why? I told him, because I was fully focused on this bowl of milk. I didn't want it to spill. So I had my head down and I was walking very slowly in order to deliver this bowl of milk to you. The man told him, this is the lesson of taqwa. This is the lesson of taqwa. Taqwa is when you place God at the forefront of your focus so that you're not distracted by anything else. God becomes primary, the focus of your attention, the focus of your thoughts, the focus of your actions and your interactions. And this is what we are encouraged to develop, this sense where God is the center of my universe. God is the center of everything that I do. But this requires that we know God. This requires that we get to know God. Love of God is based on knowledge of God. But to begin to know God, where do we start? We start with the self. If we want to know God, we begin by getting to know ourselves. This is why the hadith says, Man arafa nafsahu faqad arafa rabbah. The one who knows him or herself will know his or her Lord. How? How? The Quran tells us that self-awareness points to God. God says, سَنُرِيهِمْ آيَاتِنَا فِي الْآفَاقِ وَفِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَهُمْ أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ God says we will show the creation our signs. Ayat, ayah is what? Is a sign. The point of a sign is to do what? Why do we have signs? It's to direct us, to navigate us. God says that I have produced signs in this universe and these signs, they point to God. They point to the truth. God says we shall show human beings our signs in what? In the horizons and within themselves. How many signs do we have in the horizons that point to God? Most of you probably recently saw the latest images of the universe from the various telescopes. NASA had, you know, produced these images. Images of galaxies so far away. Images of these galaxies with their stars, with everything within them. Mind-boggling, mind-boggling. If you read about them, 
they said that they told us that some of the stars that we were seeing in these images from far galaxies, it took these stars 13, almost 13 billion light years to reach us. What does this mean? This means that when the telescope captured this image of the galaxies and the stars, it took 13 billion light years for that light to arrive to us so that we can see it. It's not immediate. Now you take your camera, you take a photo, it's immediate. It's immediate. Why? Because we're close. Light travels very quickly. So you get an immediate photo of the immediate situation. The photos that we were seeing from the galaxies are from 13 billion light years ago. 13 billion light years ago. Can I even comprehend this number, 13 billion? 13 billion is, is, is something difficult to even comprehend. How much is 13 billion? Huh? God says, Sanurihim ayatina fil we shall show humanity, the creation, God signs in the horizons. And this is only what we now see. What will we see in 10 years and 20 years and 50 years? Only God knows. Only God knows. God says we show humans our signs in the horizons. Wafi and fusihim, not just out there, but God says even within you there are signs. Wafi and fusihim. So, when we get to know ourselves, this points us to God Almighty. And knowledge of self requires or entails two things. Number one, it entails that we become acquainted with and knowledgeable of our strengths. What do we mean by this? You know, sometimes we underestimate ourselves and we underestimate our capacities. We think very little of ourselves sometimes. Many times people come to me and they approach me and they ask me questions and they speak about themselves and sometimes I feel pain to hear how people underestimate themselves. They underestimate their capacities. Imam Ali السلام, has a very beautiful lines of poetry. He says, You consider yourself so small, but within you the universe is enveloped. Within you the universe is enveloped. Here Imam Ali is reminding us not to underestimate ourselves. Don't underestimate your capacities. Sometimes we find that some of our failures and some of our setbacks, they might push us back from be being able to exhibit our full potentials. I remember uh, reading a story about a young woman who visited the zoo one day. And she was going around and she was looking at the animals. She passed by all of the animals, she came to the elephants. And she noticed that there was a very big elephant, a large elephant, who was standing in the middle of the field. But it was not moving, it's just standing there. She looked closer and she noticed 
that there was a small rope that was tied to one of the legs of the elephant. A long rope tied around one of the legs of the elephant and tied on the other side to a pole. She thought to herself, this elephant is just standing there. Could it be that this elephant in its greatness, in its strength, cannot move and pull the rope and just break the rope loose? It's an elephant. It has enormous power. So she turned to a zookeeper and she asked, she said, listen, I'm a little confused. I see this great elephant who is standing there with a rope tied around its leg and it's not moving around. What's going on? The zookeeper explained. He said, we acquired this elephant when it was a baby. And at that time, we tied a rope around its trunk, its leg, and to a pole. And so as a baby, it still did not have too much strength. So it moved around a little bit. It tugged a few times. It noticed that it cannot break free from this rope. It tried again and again and again. So at one point, this elephant decided that it doesn't have the strength to break loose. Even when it grew up, even when it became strong, it surrendered. No longer tried to tug the rope anymore. Sometimes we find that some of our setbacks, our failures, we all make mistakes. We all face setbacks and failures in our lives and every aspect of our life. Sometimes we allow these setbacks and these failures to define us to a point where they prohibit us from expressing our full capacity and our full potential. Don't allow your setbacks to define you. Some people, they, they continue living in this mindset of failure. I failed once, twice, three times. That means I can't do anything in my life. I will remain a failure. No. Remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed you with power, with capacity. Don't allow your setbacks and your failures to define you. You are the creation of God. And God is the best of creators. Is there a creator better than God? God is the best of creators. God doesn't create something weak. God creates something strong. When we develop this potential this spiritual potential of us, we realize the strength of God's bounties upon us. But this realization of strength should not push us in a way where we begin to express arrogance and pride because that's a risk. That's a risk. You don't want to fall into that end of the spectrum where you realize your strengths and suddenly now you begin to express pride and arrogance. You think of yourself as being better than others because of certain achievements, because of certain skills and capacities. No, no, no. We are reminded not to be arrogant, not to be proud, to realize what our strengths as bounties, as gifts from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to use those gifts in a way that is appropriate, that pleases God. So it's important that we realize our strengths, but the second part is also that we realize our weaknesses at the same time. We are between strength and weakness. We realize our fragility, how fragile we can be as human beings. We realize 
when it comes to some of our incapabilities. The Quran gives a beautiful example to talk about human fragility. God says that if everyone were to come together and try to create a fly, you know the fly that flies around? If everyone were to come together and try, put all of their resources and power together to create out of nothing, to create a fly, they would not be able to do so. Fly, tiny fly, out of nothing. And then the Quran continues the example. It says this fly, sometimes we are not even able to capture this fly. Have you seen sometimes you're sitting at home or somewhere in a restaurant and the door is open and a fly comes in, right? It enters into the home and you, you know, you shush it. You try to remove it. It comes onto your food. You remove it. And then it goes, it flies around. And then you get up. You get fed up and you want to get the fly swatter, right? You get up and you start jumping around, chasing this fly and it keeps flying up and around. It gives you a good workout, huh? You break a sweat sometimes trying to chase this small fly, During the time of Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, one day he was summoned by the Caliph al-Mansur, the Abbasid Caliph. He would summon sometimes the scholars and others, the Imams, to his court. So the Imam, he went and he sat in the court of al-Mansur. And he was seated close to al-Mansur. The tradition says that when they were seated, a fly came and it flew around and it came on Mansur's nose. It sat on Mansur's nose. He pushed it away. It went, it took a whole U-turn, and it came a second time, sat on Mansur's nose. Again, second time, he pushed it away. It went around, third time it came and sat on Mansur's nose again. He became annoyed, frustrated, so he turned to Imam al-Sadiq He said, Yabna Rasulullah. He recognized, of course, they used to recognize this is the Ahlul Bayt. These are the most knowledgeable of people. He turned to him, he said, Yabna Rasulullah, I have a question for you. I want you to answer this question. He said, what is it? He said, why did God create this useless fly? You know what Imam Sadiq replied to him? He said, one reason God created it is so that it humbles the arrogant tyrants. You're a king, you have an army, you have wealth, people are afraid of you, people bow down to you, right? You have all of this strength, but you are not capable to overcome a fly. A fly goes around and it annoys you, it bothers you, it frustrates you. To recognize our fragility, to recognize that we can also be very weak and the realization of our weakness does what it gives us the opportunity it opens up the room for us to realize why it is so important for us to depend on God if I am limited in my capacities if I am weak the source of strength that which gives me strength to overcome these weaknesses and incapacities is the unlimited, is the eternal, is the most powerful, is the most merciful. And this does what? It encourages me to turn to God, to develop a stronger relationship to God. We realize our need for God. I need God. 
I cannot function in this world without God in my life. Even if I try, even if I ignore it, sometimes we ignore. Some people, they live many years and they try to push God out of their lives. They try to ignore God. You know, sometimes you sweep something under the rug. Some people try to sweep God under the rug. Ignore it. But we can't ignore God. The Quran gives us examples. Look at when we face challenges and difficulties. Look at innate human nature, how God has designed us innately. When I'm suffering, when I'm facing challenges, who do I turn to? Immediately I turn to God. Even those who ignore God, even those who claim disbelief, even those who claim disbelief, if you're driving and God forbid a car jumps in front of you, some people immediately, out of nowhere, they'll scream, oh my God. The Quran tells us. The Quran says there are some who reject God. They claim they don't believe in God. And they get on a ship. And then the ship, they face a storm. The ship begins to go back and forth, back and forth. It's a storm, huh? Have any of you been on a ship when there's a storm or when there's waves? It's very scary. Very, very scary. Or on a plane, for instance, when there's turbulence, sometimes you notice the turbulence becomes strong, right? Suddenly the plane drops. You feel your heart has just gone all the way down. People begin to scream. People begin to yell sometimes. It's just turbulence, right? God says people are on a boat and it begins to rock and they become scared. And suddenly they begin to implore God, my Lord, please save me. My Lord, if you get me out of this situation, I promise I'll be a better person. I promise I'll recognize you. I'll promise I'll pray to you. I'll promise I'll give my money to charity. I'll respect my parents. I'll be a better husband. I'll be a better parent. We make suddenly all promises, promises. Just save me, God. Please, just save me. The Quran says God saves you. But unfortunately, sometimes... When things are peaceful, we forget again, once again, God is ignored. God is out of the equation. We need God in good times and in difficult times. We need God. We can't survive without God. And this is why it's important to develop our relationship with God. When we realize our strengths, we realize that these are God's blessings upon us. Not everyone is blessed with what God has blessed us. When we realize our weaknesses and our incapacities, we realize our dependence on God, our need for God. And so together, this does what? This gives us a greater awareness and recognition of God. And when we understand God and we recognize God, this opens the door for us to love God. You know God and you begin to love God. And you establish an unshakable foundation with God. God becomes the center of your universe. God becomes the center of your focus and attention so that even when it comes to your interactions with God's creation, you place God before everything and anyone else. Why is it sometimes that we commit acts of injustice towards one another? Why do we abuse one another? Why? Because we take God out of the equation. But if we keep God in the equation then we are more mindful that I know I can't harm others. 
How can I deceive others? How can I lie to others? God is in the equation. This is why even in the cases of our interactions, our relationships, our relationships, they should be God-centric. My love, my likes, and my dislikes in this world, they should revolve around whether they conform to God's pleasures or not. When I love something or someone, it should conform to God's love. Is God happy with this relationship, with this interaction or not? Imam Ali says that the believers, their giving and their withholding is based on God's pleasure. When they give, they do so for the sake of Allah. When they withhold, they also do so for the sake of Allah. Their likes and their dislikes, their actions, we put God at the focus of our attention. And this is what we learn from the Ahlul Bayt This is what we learn from Aba Abdullah al Hussein. This is what we learn from Sayyidah Zainab This is what we learn from the rest of the martyrs, the Shuhada of Karbala. Imam Hussein alayhi salam. The beautiful words of poetry. What does he say? He turns to God and he expresses what is going on in his heart and his relationship to God. He says, وأيتمت العيال لكي أراك. He says, My Lord, I have abandoned the creation, the entire creation for your love. I've left everything behind and everyone behind. Why? Because of your love. Because I, I love you and I adore you. وأيتمت العيال لكي I even orphaned my children so that I may see you. My children became orphans. Imam's children, they become orphans, even a six-month-old child. Why? Why did Imam Hussein take that stand that his children became orphans? He says, so I can see you, my Lord. So I can do what you have commanded me to do. Then he says, فَلَوْ قَطَّعْتَنِي فِي الْحُبِّ إِرْبًا لَمَا حَنَّ الْفُؤَادِ إِلَى سِوَاكَ Even if the swords cut me into pieces for your love, even if I'm cut into pieces for your love, then even then my heart wouldn't long for anyone or anything else. Imam Hussein devoted his entire existence to God. He gave everything to God. Imam Hussein gave his heart and everything to God. And as a return, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him millions of hearts. Each one of our hearts, huh? Doesn't it pump blood for Imam Hussein? When you hear the name of Aba Abdullah, don't you feel your heart it begins to beat quickly? Imam Hussein gave his heart for God. God gave him millions of hearts. 
what a night tonight is. Tonight, the eve of the 11th of Muharram. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. What a night tonight is. The traditions say that after all of the martyrs had been killed on the afternoon of the day of Ashura, the afternoon set, and all of the men had been killed. No one remained. The companions had been slaughtered one by one. They lay on the plains of Karbala, bloodied. Bani Hashim, one by one, Ali al-Akbar is no longer there. Al-Qasim ibn al-Hasan is no longer there. Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas is no longer there. The six-month-old infant Ali al-Azhar is no longer there. Abi Abdullah al-Hussein is no longer there. At this point, Umar ibn Sa'd, the commander of the enemy army, turns to his soldiers and he announces to them, he tells them, go forth to the camp, the tents of Abu Abdullah, and take everything that you want. It doesn't stop with the massacre of the men, huh? They go in and they begin to pillage the tents of the family of Rasulullah, anything that they can take. Anything that they can acquire, they go to the body of Aba Abdullah. After they've trampled his body, they go and they pull his ring. They pull his cloak. They even pull his turban. Everything that they can, they loot it. They go to the tents and they run after the women and the children. And they begin to take everything that they can take. They go towards the young granddaughters of Rasulullah. And some traditions, they say that they even, they snatch their earrings from them. This was the cowardice of the army of Yazid. After that, after they had gone, terrorizing the hearts of the women and the children, they enter into one of the tents where Imam Zainul Abidin alayhi salam is. Imam Zainul Abidin, we know he was very ill. He was so ill that he was not able to even stand up. Umar ibn Sa'd, his commanders, his soldiers, they enter into the camp of Ali ibn al-Husayn. They notice Ali ibn al-Husayn is laying down. He is weak. They turn to one another and they want to loot him. They want to take his sword. They want to attack him. Some of them, they say, this is a man here. We had orders to kill all of the men. What is this man doing alive? Some of them, they say, don't you see his situation? He is ill. He is not able to stand up. At this point, Lady Zainab salam, she comes rushing. She was running after the woman and the children. She notices that the soldiers, they go towards the tent of Ali ibn al-Husayn. She goes rushing to her nephew. She sees that the soldiers are there. They've drawn their swords. She goes and she jumps on to Ali ibn al-Husayn, Imam Zain al-Abideen, to protect him. She turns to them. She says, if you want to kill him, you have to first kill me. You have to kill me before you kill my nephew Ali ibn al Hussein. At this moment, the soldiers they see the situation and they back away. And then Umar ibn Sa'd commands his army. 
He calls out, he says, Ahriqu buyut al-zalimin. Go out and burn the tents of the camp of Aba Abdullah al-Hussein. The soldiers, they go, and tent by tent, they ignite it on fire. The women and the children are running from one tent to another. They are terrorized. They don't know what to do. Lady Zainab alayha salam and the rest of the women, they're trying to gather them and they're trying to protect them. Lady Zainab goes into the tent of Ali ibn al-Hussein. She takes him and she begins to drag him outside of the tent in order to protect him. At this moment, the family of Rasulullah in that state. The hours they go by, the sun sets and it becomes evening. Allahu Akbar, what a night. What a night after that tragic day, what they experienced. These are the daughters of Rasulullah. These are the granddaughters of Rasulullah and the daughters of Amirul Mu'mineen. Just a few hours ago, just a few weeks and months ago, they stood in honor and dignity in Medina. Everyone would turn around them. They recognized that these were the family, the women of Rasulullah. They were honored. Now they are in this dishonorable situation. They no longer have anyone to protect them. Zainab goes around. She sees the bodies one by one on the floor covered in blood. Where does she look? Does she look towards Qasim? Does she look towards Ali al-Akbar? Does she look towards Abil Fadl al-Abbas near the Furat? Or does she turn to her beloved brother, Aba Abdullah, who is headless? Allahu Akbar. She goes gathering the women and children one by one together, bringing them, trying to protect them. The soldiers, they come forward at night everything is settled some of the soldiers they turn towards the camp of Imam Hussein they know the women and children are thirsty some of them they bring water towards the women and children the tradition says that some of the children when they saw the soldiers approaching they got scared they began to run away the soldiers they called out to them they told them oh children we're not here to harm you we've brought water for you we know you are thirsty drink this water they turned around and they looked at them they told them, how do you expect us to drink this water when our fathers and brothers were killed while they were thirsty? How do you expect us to drink? We saw our family members being massacred and you did not give them a drop of water. Allahu Akbar, one final scene I share with you. It becomes very dark during that night. It's a very difficult night for the family of Rasulullah. Zainab is in charge of protecting everyone. Every few moments she turns around, she wants to make sure that everyone is okay, everyone is gathered. She notices that one of the women is missing. So she goes out in the darkness of the night looking for this woman. From far away, she hears a faint voice crying on the ground, sitting on the ground, huh? And crying and weeping. She goes closer and she sees Rabab sitting next to a small grave. Rabab is sitting next to the grave of her six-month-old infant Ali al-Azhar. And she is calling out to him. She is saying, my beloved Ali. 
My beloved Ali, I have drank water and now I am able to nurse you. My beloved Ali, come to me so that I can nurse you. Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon wa sayalamu alladheena zalamu ayyamun qalabin yanqalibun wal aqibatu lil muttaqeen sallallahu wa sallam alayka ya sayyidi ويا مولاي يا أبا عبد الله صلى الله وسلم عليك وعلى الأرواح التي حلت بفنائك عليكم مني جميعا سلام الله أبدا ما بقيت وبقي الليل والنهار ولا جعله الله آخر العهد مني لزيارتكم Brothers and sisters, tonight we want Fatima al-Zahra to hear our salats for Imam Hussain السلام على الحسين وعلى علي بن وعلى أولاد الحسين وعلى أصحاب الحسين جميعا ورحمة الله وبركاته and for the soul of all of the مؤمنين and مؤمنات and for the soul of the شهداء around the world especially our dear brothers and sisters the شهداء of Afghanistan who were recently killed for their souls and for the souls of the shuhada of Karbala and Abi Abdullah al Hussein, let us recite Surah Al Fatiha, Ma'al Salat, Ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad.